0: If we haven't met before, my name is Andy Deitch. Um, I'm one of the BX Sunday School teachers here. And uh, my wife and I have been going here for just under two years. It'll be two years, I believe, next month or in December. And this is a great church. Um, just a lot of great people. I want to talk today about the real Jesus... I want to ask a question, when you think of Jesus, what picture in your mind pops up? Is it the soft and kind and gentle Jesus? Is it a Jesus of your uh, ethnic choosing? (laughs) Or is it the Irish Jesus with the red hair and the green eyes? Well, I want to submit to you through God's word today that Jesus doesn't look anything like that at all. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. You also have the insert in your handout. The passage is printed on that as well. If you don't have a Bible and would like to have one to be your own, you can take one that's in front of you. Take it home, put your name in it, uh, read it. Let me quick pray for us. Father, we just come to you today praising you that you have raised Jesus from the dead and that he reigns with all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And Lord, as we're going to see today um, to rather frightening Uh, picture that John describes as he sees the risen Christ. Lord, there's also great comfort in this message, uh, especially for those, Lord, who follow you. Uh, You are a comforting God, a loving Father, and we just ask, Lord, that you would encourage our spirits and our, our souls, that you would convict us where we need to make changes, and that you would exhort us to follow after christ with all of our hearts in his name we pray amen so i'll go ahead and read the passage and then we'll begin i john your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in jesus was on the island called patmos on account of the word of god and the testimony of jesus When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Okay, so I want to start with the introduction um, of verses 9 through 11, just kind of setting up the scene of why John is told to record this message. He's told 12 times in this book to write down what he sees and to pass it along. And I love the humility that he shows. He doesn't say, I, John, the apostle, you know, the 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 one that Jesus loved the most. Um, he's just very humble. And uh, he just comes alongside his his fellow believers to encourage them. Now, there are seven churches that are named, and we won't get into uh, the aspects of each individual church, but these churches were undergoing uh, intense persecution. This is probably written around 95 to 96 A.D., so it would be under the reign of Domitian. This is after Nero. And so the churches are suffering, and Jesus tells John to write this letter And as we're going to see further on down the passage, this letter is to be distributed to each of these seven churches. Uh, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance are uniquely Christian experiences. Um, the word patient endurance is translated hupomone, which is to remain under, to remain under a difficult trial, to allow God to use it to test our faith, to strengthen our faith. And uh, we will never ever get closer to God in this life than when we are suffering and undergoing persecution. And it's a way of Obviously, trials and, and hard times draw us nearer to God because we realize we are uh, not capable in ourselves to, to handle the problems of life, especially in the Christian realm. And I think we see that today. <clears throat> just what's going on in the world with the persecution of Christians. They're, uh, you know, No one persecutes the, the religious because they're just as lost as the, the heathen. They go through the motions of acting like they know God, and yet they don't. And so they don't receive persecution. <clears throat> then he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Um, just a quick note there. This is not the day of the Lord, the day of judgment that is talked about many times in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. This is simply a reference to the Lord's Day as Sunday. It's the, the the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's typically what most Christian churches do is we worship on Sunday. So he says he was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. <clears throat> so somehow, it doesn't say that he was taken up to heaven. Uh, that happens in chapter 4 where he is transported up to heaven, but somehow God, through the power of the Spirit, takes John into a a realm that goes beyond the physical senses. And I think we're going to see how difficult it is for him to try and describe and explain what he's seeing. But he's putting it in terms that these people in these churches in the first century would have understood. And the symbolism is is striking, as we're going to see. It's wonderful, and I hope that you're encouraged by it. And he simply commanded to write what you see and send it to the churches. Uh, these seven churches were actual churches in the first century, but the number seven in the Bible, uh, numerically, is the number of completeness. So, in a sense, it does represent all of the churches throughout all of church history, which is yet to culminate. Uh, we're still here on the earth, and so... Uh, I think that there's definitely an application for us in this passage. Now we get to the good stuff. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So if you want to take notes and fill in the blanks, uh, point A... Jesus empowers his church. And unfortunately, I did not print up verses that I wanted to look up. And so I'm not going to do very many, but there are a few that I I feel like need to be done. So Daniel chapter 7, you don't have to turn there. Starting in verse 9, this is Daniel approximately... Seven 800 years before John has the same vision, but the, the similarities are striking. <clears throat> it says in verse 9, I, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the head, hair of his head was like pure wool. And then if you go down to verse 13, that's a reference there to God the Father, the Ancient of Days. <clears throat> but then Daniel sees something else. So again, seven to eight hundred years before John sees this vision, Daniel has a very similar vision. And he actually sees the pre-incarnate Christ standing before the throne. Uh, And it says, I saw one like a son of man. So he sees a man standing there. And it's Jesus Christ. Uh, Literally, he's the God-man. So what we see here is that the church is supposed to be the light of the world, the seven golden lampstands. If you go down to verse 20 in Revelation 1, John tells us what the, the mystery of the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. Uh, the golden lampstands are the churches because lampstands are put up to give out light, and we as the church, the body of Christ, are to be a light in a dark world. And uh, in God's eyes, the church is the most precious entity on earth because it's made up of redeemed Christians like you and me, uh, bought with the blood of the Lamb. And uh, gold is probably one of the most precious metals that we know of. And so the idea of the golden lampstands is that we are precious in God's sight and that uh, we are to be lampstands. Now there is a warning later on in this letter that Jesus says to one of these churches, uh, if you don't repent of some of the sins that you're committing, or that you're permitting to go on within the church and not discipline, he'll take away that that lampstand. Doesn't mean that he'll take away their their relationship with God, but he'll he'll remove their influence and they'll just be going through the motions. On to point B. I really love this. He was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. In biblical times, if you were a peasant or a farmer or someone who was poor, uh, you didn't have the money to buy a full-length robe that went down to your feet. Uh, This would be the the robe of royalty, the the robe of kings. And uh, ultimately... It's the robe that the high priest wore because it says that he had a golden sash across his chest. <clears throat> Which if you go to Exodus 28 and Leviticus 16, um, talk about this sash. So Jesus is busy interceding for us even right now. Um, one thing I will say, it says that he's in the midst of the lampstands that tells me that Jesus is here right now in our midst. And He's looking at our hearts. He's evaluating. He's scrutinizing. You know, why are you here? Are you here to worship me? are you here just to socialize? Why are you here? Hebrews 4. This is one other passage I want to look at quickly. Um, Romans 8 tells us that Jesus and the Holy Spirit intercede for us on our behalf. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then... with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need isn't that beautiful Jesus isn't up there in his lazy boy it's like well I've done what I'm supposed to do I died and I rose again so my job is finished and now he um, Hebrews talks also about that he will be our high priest forever uh forever interceding on our behalf. So to me, that's a, a great encouragement that he prays for me. Uh, as again, in Romans 8, as the Spirit knows or God searches the, what is it? God searches the, the heart and the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit knows what God's will is. And so what, basically, when I'm praying and I'm not feeling like I'm praying the way I should, maybe selfishly. It's all about me. Uh, the Spirit is interceding on my behalf. Um, and that's just an encouragement to me, that He knows how weak I am. He knows how flawed I am, how broken I am. And yet, He is. He's not done working. He's, we're all <clears throat> still a masterpiece in progress, and God is working on each one of us, uh, refining, shaping uh expecting us to make mistakes and showing great grace and mercy when we do so Jesus empowers his church and he intercedes the next point is is that he purifies his church the hairs of his head were white like white wool like snow his eyes were like a flame of fire <clears throat> his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace the white here can speak of deity. It also speaks of age and wisdom. Uh, this isn't just the the normal color white, like that white guitar or that white speaker. This is a white that is blazing. It, it glows. It's a, an intense white light. It's it's uh, I have a feeling part of the Shekinah glory of God. And He does that. He purifies us by One way He does it is disciplining us. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the Lord chastens those whom He loves and He disciplines us as children, His children. And He will do that in order to correct us and put us back on the right path. Um, His eyes are like a flame of fire. They're like laser beams coming out of the white light that surrounds His hair. And again, as I mentioned earlier, they're they're penetrating, they're searching, and they're scrutinizing our motives. And again, he is here right now. Whether we want to believe that or not, Jesus can be everywhere at the same time because he is God. John 15 is another reference where he will take out his pruning knife and he will prune the dead branches off the tree so that the tree will bear more fruit. And so that's another way that he purifies. Another example is a more severe example. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira sinned against the Holy Spirit. And God struck him dead right on the spot. No, no excuses. He just said, you're dead. And he did that to keep his, his church pure. It was in its infancy. He was forming the church. And God wanted to strike fear into the hearts of the people that, you know, you mess around with, with my plan and uh, I will deal with you personally. And he dealt with them in a very personal way. And finally, in 1 Peter 4.17, Peter talks about judgment begins with the house of God. Before God judges this world and those who don't believe, he's going to judge the church. Uh, which means that we will stand before Him uh, corporately and individually. Again, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, starting in verse 12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So hopefully this motivates us to, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, as uh, Paul referred to, that we uh, walk in holiness and Christlikeness. <clears throat> his feet... This is still part of the purifying aspect. It says that his feet his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His feet represent the authority of kings. In ancient times when a king uh, was to pronounce judgment on someone, his throne was elevated so that the, the prisoner or the, the captive would be directly underneath the feet of the king. And he would, pronounce, <clears throat> he would pronounce judgment. And it's interesting, it says that his feet were like burnished bronze. In the tabernacle and in the temple in the Old Testament, uh, the altar that was used for the sin offering was made of bronze. So again, I think we see that, that Jesus is, uses his authority... As God to to judge our sin, and I'm not talking about eternal, as far as our our eternal salvation, but just in our practical day-to-day life, um, His feet represents the authority that He can pronounce judgment on our sin, and, and hopefully we are sensitive enough to the Lord's Spirit that when we recognize it, we repent, we confess, and Receive his mercy and forgiveness. Moving on to uh, point D, Jesus speaks authoritatively to his church. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Um, it's a reference in uh, Ezekiel 43 2, that talks about the glory of the Lord coming, and the sound of it is like the sound of many waters. Or you think of the ocean, the waves crashing on the shore, or a waterfall like Niagara Falls. Uh, it's a loud voice. Uh, that, the idea of things being loud is often presented in Revelation as a way of <clears throat> getting our attention. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 how does Jesus, or how does, yeah, how does he speak authoritatively to us? long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world so Jesus has the authority because God has given him the authority in uh, John 5.22 Jesus says the father doesn't judge because he has given the son all authority to judge. So again, it's uh, Jesus speaks authoritatively because he has the authority to do that because he is God. Jesus controls his church, uh, point E. Um, this is a very interesting one. <clears throat> In his right hand, he held seven stars, And from his mouth came a a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Now down in verse 20, it says that the stars are the angels of the the seven churches. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that angels are leaders of the church. Uh, They can't be because they're holy, they're sinless. Uh, the word "angelos," from where we get "angel," can also be translated "messenger." So it's most likely that these uh, messengers were pastors and elders, each one or representatives from each church. So that God—that's how God works in His church as He mediates through uh, a multiple group of elders. We have Scott, we have Dan Avitz, we have Greg Swanson, and Don Chaney. Um, God mediates through them. Uh, and ultimately, they're not accountable to us. They're accountable to Christ for how they lead this church. But it's their job to seek God and to seek His direction. Uh, so they are His instruments. And so He says, "...and from His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword." And the reference to Titus is just uh, Paul telling Titus to appoint elders. So that's how God works in his church is through his messengers. And they're not necessarily angels. The next one would be Jesus protects his church from his mouth. He protects against external threats But I think in this context, because it's a church setting, he's protecting from within the church. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns the Ephesians as he's leaving. uh, First of all, that they'll never see him again because he knows he's going to die. But he warns them, verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves. by the sword of his mouth. Well, what's the sword? It's the word of God. And we need to have discernment to know if someone's teaching, if he's teaching heresy or or false information. But even if you're here and you're just here to to cause division or to gossip, um, again, that's within the body of Christ. And so we need to be careful that, uh, again... Jesus knows how to deal with those threats outside the church, and he also knows how to deal with them inside the church. Again, as I mentioned, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And then the last one is Jesus reflects his glory through his church. And John quotes, makes a statement all the way back in uh, Judges chapter 5. Verse 31, that those that love God will shine like the sun in its strength. And so he says, um, in his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. So that's where that reference comes from, that we are to to reflect the glory of Christ in our lives. And now we get to the response. The so what so to speak. It's like, well, that's great. So what? What does that mean to me? John's response is, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Again, what was Isaiah's response from Scott's message last week? Woe is me, for I'm a man undone. And literally, he was disintegrating in the sense that he was having a nervous breakdown. And I guarantee you that if Jesus suddenly appeared right now, we wouldn't all be going, Hey, Jesus, give me five, brother. Good to see you. We, we would be, I'd be like a woodpecker trying to get my head through the floor uh, just because... <laughs> that's the Jesus that is portrayed this is the Jesus that exists now that's why I showed you those, those pictures because uh, what do we think of when we think of Jesus the way he is now is he is glorified and uh, I'm sure the reading the description of him doesn't even come close to the fear that any one of us would have uh, Daniel had the same experience Uh, It says that he had no strength left in him. And um, if you ever had a. Sometimes I drink too much caffeine, and you get that rush, and you feel like. I feel like my body weighs like a thousand pounds, and I can't even lift my arms. I don't know what what Daniel experienced, but it was something to the effect that when when a sinful human being comes in the presence of a holy God, uh, there's terror, even for the believer Um, but Jesus is kind and compassionate he says don't be afraid Uh, literally he's saying stop being afraid Um, I am the living one I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades so to summarize or finalize what we've talked about Uh, The first one there, holiness is traumatic. It's a traumatizing experience. I know that when I personally came to Christ, I actually, ironically, this is the first time I've ever preached, this was the exact image that I had in my mind of God judging me, pointing his finger at me like I was the only one in the room of 500 people. And I'm just sitting there like... "Uh." (laughs) <laughs> i was I was traumatized by how holy he was, and I knew how guilty i was and yet uh, how how paradoxical it is is that you run to the one that you 're afraid of at that moment is the one that you run to for salvation. <clears throat> Secondly, Jesus Christ has to judge sin, otherwise he's not God. <clears throat> I know today that we want to focus on a kind and gentle Jesus and we want to be politically correct and not offend people again Scott mentioned last week that we need to show Christ-like love to people with the truth we're not doing anyone any favors by not telling them the truth of what their destiny is unless they they come into a personal relationship with Christ so you might want to ask yourself do I really care enough about this person to lovingly tell them the truth or am I going to just talk about how great God is and and how much he loves that person and not talk about things that need to be talked about like sin and the last is that Jesus Christ is actively working amongst his people and I think we see that all through the passage and, and again to me if you're a follower of Christ, you should be very encouraged because he's, he's interceding, he's controlling, he's protecting, he's reflecting his glory. He's empowering us. He intercedes, he purifies us. So Jesus is not done with me yet, and he's not done with you. Uh, when he is, he'll take you home. <clears throat> so my my final question is are you on the outside looking in? Jesus invites you to come to Him. He is eager to be reconciled to you. Do not fear. He really is for you. God really does take great pleasure in extending forgiveness and mercy to those that, that cry out to Him for salvation. He doesn't like judging. Uh, Ezekiel 33.11, God says, I take no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would repent and turn from their evil ways. He would much rather bless you and forgive you and enter into that relationship with you than to judge you. And uh, if you're here and you think that you're good enough, God doesn't grade on a curve. The, ab- the standard of his judgment is absolute perfection and holiness. He will judge you compared to himself, not you compared to some other person. And so your only hope is Jesus Christ. And he invites you now to come to him in faith and in simple trust. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one true and living God. You are alive forevermore. And uh, you reign and rule. Um, Even though we don't see everything that you're doing, We don't understand why you allow so much evil in the world, but you have a plan and you're carrying it out. And we just thank you for your grace. Thank you so much for sending your son, Father, to die in our place that if we put our faith and confidence in him, we can be forgiven and we will spend eternity with you. In his name we pray, amen.